0: Welcome back, Victory City family. Um, I pray you enjoyed that worship. This Sunday, I pray that um, just this previous week has been a tremendous blessing for you. I pray that you have seen the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, and the providence of God show up in various areas of your life. Um, We thoroughly enjoyed the Bible study that we had together this past Wednesday as we talked about what unity looks like in the church what it means to be bonded together in Christ, um, regardless of creed, culture, ethnicity, um, whatever the case may be, that we are bonded together by Christ. With that being said, we wanted to kind of continue that trend as we're walking through the book of Acts. And as you remember last week, we looked at what it really meant for the blood-bought Christians who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the true witnesses for Christ. And so today we want to go a little bit forward beyond that and see how those same blood-pulps, Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses function, but how they function together and form a united body of Christ. And with that being said, I couldn't think of a better way to title this sermon today other than the United Church. The United Church. Um, we have we learned some tremendously important lessons from our apostolic fathers in the book of Acts as they don't just set the example of how the church should be run or the decision should be made or how we should be unified, but they, they give us the precedence for everything that we should do concerning the body of Christ. And so what I want to do is present to you a counterpoint to what we see happening in the world today as I perceive Satan is running rampant in his attempts to divide us um, by the secondary identifiable issues in our lives and see that we need to be unified. Counterpoint what Satan is doing in, in the world And provide what I think the scripture says and how we should gather together and be bonded together to continue the work that Jesus Christ has given us. Jump with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, the first chapter again. This week we're going to begin at verse number 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Uh, with the uh, reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language El that is field of blood for it is written in the book of Psalms may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it let another take his office. So, one of the men who accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us the witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for him, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word today. We pray that we will see with great clarity, Um, the truth of the unity that the church is called to have in every aspect of our community and fellowship. God, we pray that you will move all of the Satan-led, enemy-built barriers that exist in between us and build us together into one functioning full body of Christ that is unified in your death and resurrection. We thank you now, God, as you are moving us into unity, that you will allow us to have such a great footprint in this world to show the world what the true love of Christ looks like and how it will bond people who normally would have nothing to do with one another together. We believe that will happen through your sovereignty and your providential grace. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Now, I realize that this is a long passage for us to go through, but I want to go through it so that we can gather some of the things here together and see some of the things that are foundational truths for us to have faith in God, but do so as a collective body of believers. Again, as I mentioned last week, but I reiterated, we are given here from Luke more than just a historical account. Of the events that we saw, which it does. It serves as a historical account because these are all verifiable events. But not only do we have that, but we have the precedence for the church in how we are to be bonded together and unified together and how we are to serve among the whole body of believers even today. Luke opens up here by continuing from verse 11, where he left after the apostles witnessed the ascension of Jesus at Mount Olivet or the Mount of Olives. Luke tells us in his Gospels that the disciples were constantly devoting themselves. They were devoting themselves to singing the praises of God collectively in the temple. Now. Luke doesn't come here and say, this is what you should do. He doesn't prescribe that to us, but I don't think there is anybody watching or listening today that will say that it's an uncommon practice that when believers gather together, there should be some sort of sharing and gathering and fellowshipping in the praises and the celebrating of who God is. Now, remember, these men had been with Jesus Christ, they had walked with him, they had talked with him, they had seen the works of his hand, and it's their great desire knowing that he has left the sum total of his ministry with them, and so their desire is is to not only carry out the ministry that Jesus had left with them, but also to grab hold of the spirit that he had in them. And to continue his work and build a community. What they desire most is to continue that communion that they had with him while he was present with them. And for us, this is why gathering is so important. And even though we are not tangibly and physically gathering right now, we are gathering every time we come together and watch the word, listen to the word, receive the word, pray together. Every time we come together, we are gathering because in gathering, our fellowship builds our community, This is so essential to our unity as believers that Paul even commands us, as we've read before in Ephesians, that you don't just greet one another, but you greet one another singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. You greet one another with celebratory praise of the goodness of God. That builds the fellowship and community and love that we have with one another. We are also commanded, if at all possible, to not forsake, to assemble ourselves together with other believers. Now, that doesn't have to happen tangibly in a church building, but one, it should be a Commonality in the life of every Christian that you are gathering, fellowshipping, talking with, breaking bread with other Christian believers because it builds us up, as the Bible says, in our most holy faith. With that being said, I like what Luke does here. Luke names a few names of those who entered. Now, most of these were names that we knew, but I I would tell you to look at the last people that he names in this text. Luke says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. By the way, this is the last time that she's mentioned in the New Testament. And he says that the brothers of Jesus are there, James and Jude, or whose name was Judas, but Jude is the name he went by, both of which, James and Jude, who both have a book in the Bible that bear their namesake. Now, why is this important? Well, when John writes eight months prior, they were not believers in their brother. They did not accept that he was Messiah, they did not accept that he was the Son of God. But now, Having Jesus appear to 500 people, we believe that they would have been in that group that he appeared to because they have seen him after his resurrection. They have now been converted because of Jesus and all have come together in his name. And Luke says that when they came together, People who didn't believe, people who were at odds with each other, people who were enemies of one another were all bonded together, who came together in the name of one man. And that's in Jesus Christ. Luke says that when they came together, they were on one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. In Luke, previously, they gathered and they devoted themselves to praise, but now they're, they're gathering together and devoting themselves to prayer. This brings us to our first point today. The first point says, unity starts with gathering together. A body of believers that fails to gather with all the other members that make up that body And I mean all the other members, whether those members are black, white, Republican, Democrats, whether they're tall, short, whatever the commonality may or may not be, whatever the varying cultural experiences may be, a body of believers that fails to gather with all the various members of the body of Christ can hardly call themselves unified. This should be common sense, but there is more and more divisiveness growing among many of us that should be connected. We are not on one accord, and I believe that it all boils down to a lack of real committed, intentional gathering of ourselves together. And I don't just mean gathering with the people that we're most comfortable with. I mean extending ourselves beyond our level of comfort and gathering with the people whose experiences we don't understand, whose viewpoints we do not share, whose political affiliations we do not agree with, but knowing that we all bear the name of Jesus Christ, committing to intentionally gather with them together. I think that The terms black church and white church are possibly the greatest indictments of our failure to join together in prayer and praise with one another who don't look like us or talk like us or share our experiences or understand our context. Listen, when we get together, we are not commanded to get each other, but we are commanded to gather this past week we had an opportunity at the school that I work for to gather with people in unity and you know while we were not able to solve the world's problems we prayed before we gathered and we fellowshiped and I think more than anything, that unifies us, even if we can't grasp the, top, the sum total of one another's experiences, we are commanded to gather together and pray together, pray for one another. I think the reason why we are constantly commanded to join together and fellowship in prayer is because it forces us to be vulnerable and open and expose our hurt and our pain and our anger and our frustration and our insecurities with one another before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even in that, though we may not always be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish, and that's within the body of believers we share and with within the larger body of believers that we may not know as well, it must be a reoccurring, constant commitment to gather together with people so that we can build those relationships and be unified in Jesus Christ. And so in our gathering, what we have seen is we see that we come together in praise. We share in praise We come together in prayer, and the prayer in that prayer is that we meet each other all at the foot of the cross. That's where we want to be in that prayer. So we have praise and we have prayer. But we also know that in that gathering, in that praise in that prayer, there must also be preaching. Now, you knew I would not let you off the hook without saying that there must be the preached word of God. When these all gathered, they didn't just share in praise. They didn't just share in prayer. But Peter preached. And I mean, he preached. He expounded on the word with everyone who was there. Listen, every time we gather together, we must commit to sharing a time of praise, to gathering in prayer and preaching. In our praise, we collectively celebrate the goodness of God for us individually. And in, in our prayer, we come together to submit our, our petitions and agree together with one another, with God on what we need each other to do, bearing the burden of one another. That's what we do when we pray together. And in our preaching, we are constantly being transformed by the word of God, we're being sanctified by the word of God. This is how we defeat the attempts at disunity by Satan. We gather. That's when we have gotten into a disagreement, we gather. That is when we have suffered loss, we gather That is, when we even have something to celebrate, we gather. What Satan does is in those moments of weakness and vulnerability, he tries to pull us apart. And it is the default position of every one of us when we are upset with one another to withdraw from one another. But the Bible commands us that if you have a fault and ought with your brother, you go to them. Because there is something that happens when the Holy Spirit that is in me testifies with the Holy Spirit that is in you. And though we may be miles apart physically, mentally and emotionally in the spirit, we are one. Because of the Holy Spirit. It is so vital for us to maintain that unity. Now. I like what Peter did. What does Peter Peter do when he gets up to preach? What does he preach about? He reminds them of the, the sufficiency of Scripture. He reminds them that Scripture is sufficient. He tells them that the Scripture had been fulfilled. Now, this is so vital to us in understanding, understanding our faith because understanding the right perspective, having the right perspective will encourage unity among us. The reason he said this is because in light of the recent events that they had just witnessed, he knew they needed that encouragement. And so he reminds them of everything that they had witnessed. He tells them, remember, Scripture foretold all of this even so we see that when he quotes from psalms he quotes from psalms 109 and 8 may his days be few may another take his office unity in christ for the church is maintained when faithful preachers put our current world in the right perspective Even today, as bad as things seem, and they are bad and they are probably going to get worse. Can you argue with me in saying that the scriptures are being fulfilled before our very eyes? Of course they are. The church has to come together in prayer, in praise, and preaching so that we have the right perspective over everything that is happening. When we lose perspective as a body of believers, we will blame this group or that group or that side or this side. But if we look to scripture, then we see that this is just the culmination of everything that the Bible has promised us would happen. But the word has also spoken to us this that when the end will come. And I want this to be something that you grasp. Does the Bible say that the end will come when there is perfect justice in this world? No. In fact, The Bible says that the Antichrist will come and he will unify the government. He will unify our monetary system and he will promise peace and security. And it says that when they promise peace and security, that's when you look for the return. But not only that, the Bible says there is one other definable thing that happens that leads us to knowing that the end will come. And that is when the gospel has been preached to all the ends of the earth. It says once the gospel has been preached to all the ends and earth, then the end will come. So what do we need? We need more preaching. We need more faithful stewards of the gospel who are willing to lay down their individual identity, their individual biases, their individual slants and take hold of their identity in Christ. One of the most challenging things that has been through all of this is to try to stand there faithful holding on to the nails that are nailing us to the cross that has been given to us while we take the barrage of comments that people have about the faithful stewards of God and try to remain faithful to him and provide firm, effective, clear preaching that people need. Listen, we will only grow as much word as we know. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, no one was ever converted simply because of a miracle, but they were converted by his teaching. It was his teaching that changed those who he came in contact with. The apostles, the heralds of the gospel, all devoted themselves to knowing the scriptures and making those scriptures known. How far we have fallen in these days when we know more about the way of the world than we do about the word. If we want to see progress in the church and its growth, then we must acknowledge that the sufficiency of knowing what this word says is above everything that we know. Lord, get us to the day where we can regurgitate scripture as well as we can regurgitate the language of this world. That brings us to the second and final point for today, which is unity in decision-making. Here Luke recounts the events that caused the death of Judas. And I know most of us are going to be somewhat familiar with this, but You may lack the complete understanding of this whole story here. And so while Peter is up speaking, he doesn't address the details of the death of Judas. But Luke actually inserts that because he knows that he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience. And so he wants to make sure that they have the context in what he says. Now, Luke finds it important to note that Judas died on a plot of land that he bought now. If you jump back into the Gospels, you realize that Judas threw the money back that he receives the 30 pieces of silver that he got in, in exchange for handing Jesus over. He actually throws the money back to them out of guilt. But here it says that he bought the plot of land that he hung himself on. Well, what ended up happening is when he threw that money back, they took the money back. And they used that money to buy that plot of land. And so what it actually is showing us is that it was more of God's divine providence that the money he traded in was used to purchase that field that he went out and committed suicide on. Now, here it says that his insides burst open, but we saw in Matthew, it says that he hung himself. Now, what probably happened is that when Judas killed himself by hanging, either the branch fell off the side of a cliff or the knot slipped either prior to him killing himself or after he was already dead. And because it was hanging over the side of the cliff, when he falls, he falls down that cliff. And as the Bible says, his insides burst open. Now that is gruesome, I know, but this is what happened. Because of this, the apostles sought a replacement for Judas, who had killed himself. Now, this is where they needed once again to demonstrate their unity. They had to show their unity in their decision making. Now, how do they have unity? And this is really important. And I want you to grasp this. I know many people who are watching or are a part of our church, but there are people who are watching who may not be a part of Victory City. But this is really important. They demonstrated their unity because they had specific qualifications for the office for which they are trying to replace. In fact, the very word for apostle comes from diaconia or apostole, which means one who witnessed the re- the resurrection. So this does two things. One it absolutely narrows who can be called to this office, and it makes them only be able to make their decision based off of that criteria. When the church freely flows in its appointments and its decisions, then it sets itself up for disunity and failure. The other things, though, that it does here is it debunks anyone who claims today to be any sort of an apostle because as you can see here you have to have seen the risen Lord in order to be qualified to be an apostle this means that anyone who walks around today with that title proclaiming that they hold that office is lying Not only that, however, but the apostles committed themselves to spreading the gospel, which was what saved them in the first place. While looking for the replacement of Judas, we see that they put two men up, Justice and Matthias. Not only did they come together to make the decision, but no, they prayed about it. Coming together for Christians isn't something That's arbitrary or without rhyme or without reason, but we must have a motive in doing the will of God every time we gather together. Unfortunately, in many church contexts, fellowship is reduced to having a basketball tournament or a fashion show or getting together for coffee. But true fellowship is submitting ourselves to the transformative work of Christ every time we gather. We need community among the body of believers that comes without pretense or show, but that humbly admits how desperately we all need one another. Even when they prayed, they said, Lord, you know, you know the hearts. And he did. And so they sought his guidance. This isn't just an example of how we should do church, but this is the precedence of how we become the church that God has intended. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what does that mean for those who need to hear the truth? We don't need to continue the discord as a church, but we need to come together on one accord. Satan's best attempt at the church is to divide us, but we have to see the frailty of his attempts and expose him as the deceiver that he truly is. The question is, how do we move from just a collection of people who share a common interest? I can tell you how. We devote ourselves to sharing in our praise for God. We submit ourselves to one another in prayer to him. And we are transformed by the preached word of God. That is how we become a true community in the faith. We are driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we commit ourselves to one another, remembering, even as the scripture tells us in Galatians, to bear one another's burdens. And I want to offer you this encouragement as we close. Your brother or sister in Christ may have a heavier burden than you anticipated. Bearing the weight of the burden that they are carrying, whether that's a belief system, a way they align themselves, words that they may use regarding certain things and situations, we are commanded to bear that burden. We are commanded to extend ourselves. And I offer you this. When the Bible talks about Love, covering a multitude of sins, there are two references that are being made. One, the primary reference is that the love of Jesus Christ has covered every sin that I would ever commit as long as I am in him. But that also means having seen that love that I have to love the way that he loved. Jesus Christ did not wait for us to get in the right condition, the right position to clean ourselves up in order to love us. He loved us in spite of all in spite of all that he knew about us. And so as we are seeking to be brought together as a body of Christ in unity, I'm just humbly asking you, with all that you may see, all that you may feel, the frustration the anger, even the disunity you may feel. Love people the way you needed Jesus to love you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. God, we are all humble servants of you. We stand in no position to judge one another harshly above Would you have judged us, but we should love one another, commit ourselves to one another, to bear one another's burdens, even if we don't like the burden that we're bearing, even if we don't agree with the position of a person, but committing to bear that burden with them. That's all we can do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.